Welcome to the Workbrand Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and theworkbrand.com. Welcome to the Work Friends Podcast. This episode is a special on the Sandman Audible book, basically. I'm your host, Christian, and with me is the lovely Nicole. Nicole, say hi. Hello. Audible should sponsor us for this they episode. Should. But yeah, one day. Was, right? You got sweet, sweet Amazon money. Um, and yeah, so today we'll be talking about the Sandman and Audible. This this uh, audiobook is, I think, came out like in mid-July, mm-hmm. but um, like, it's so unbelievably successful that it's actually topped the charts as like the number one audiobook since its release on the new york times list it's awesome yeah it's still it's still ranking up there and i don't think anything's really going to take it down at this rate partially because you know no one's publishing as much but also just because the quality is so ridiculous so um yeah this thing is really hitting out of the park not only for audiobooks but for futures of uh comic adaptations onto audio because this was a really weird attempt at doing that, nobody really thought this was possible. Uh, for those who aren't super familiar, I'm, I'm very uh, what's the word? I'm very passionate about Sandman. It's my favorite comic book of all time, and uh, like they've been trying to do an audio recording of this for like over twenty years. Really? Yeah. So they've um, they've attempted numerous times, like through different publishers, or basically. And then yeah. to, to be frank, like nobody really gave them the shot or like the outlets necessary to actually get it get it produced and stuff like mm-hmm. like a lot of people initially were very anti um this audiobook because it came, it was released through audible uh via amazon mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people aren't super happy with amazon but as a trying a budding author myself um amazon kind of has the the manipulate they have yeah, their hand in the I entire mean, really huge market shares it's very hard to avoid them <laughs> yeah pretty much especially for self-publishing and mm-hmm. especially for audiobooks because it's just hand in hand so like um audible was the first pe- the first organization really to give to give this a, sh- a shot i think uh dirk uh i want to say dirk chently but that's a tv show uh i dirk can't remember Mags. his name what's up is it dirk mags i think so yes yeah. uh was like the big reason why this was got- this had gotten made so wow well Given its success, then they must, I'm sure, hopefully they're going to continue adapting the other books then, right? Oh, yeah, they have yeah. to, because uh, this is only part one of three. I was very surprised when they came out. I was like, oh, wait, where's the other Where's the other stuff? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, again, uh, Sandman, my favorite comic book of all time. Uh, before we delve right into it, I'm just going to give a small backstory, then I'll shut up and let Nicole take over. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, back in college, uh, I was actually on my path to become a clinical psychologist. And I was doing a lot of research in my undergrad years. I was TAing, and I was, I guess, for what you could consider very smart for my age and what I was what I was pursuing. But um, the more I kind of started working in the field and working with different 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 individuals in mental health, the more I kind of got disillusioned by the path that I was like kind of undergoing. Uh, and then I started uh, to make a very long story short. I got injured during a football accident and I tore my Achilles and I had to kind of recover for six months. And in that time period, I got into comic books in particular Sandman and like reading this comic changed everything about my life. Uh, It it made me kind of abandon the pursuit of academics and look more into storytelling because 
Sandman kind of tells a story that a lot of comics were too afraid to tell at the time, on top of the fact that it kind of combines a lot of philosophical ideas about what stories are and what the nature of reality is. At the time, I was really into the ideas of uh, philosophical dualism, and Sandman's really all about that. So, like, the fact that a comic, of all things, could, like, just expand my brain, like, that much and, like, kind of change my entire perception of reality, I think it just goes to show, like, how powerful this kind of a story is. So, um, yeah, it is, hands down, my favorite my favorite comic and the reason that I am a writer. So, thank you, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was just kind of heavy. It's weird that's baton pass-off. No, no, um, no. That's awesome. Thank you. Like, to have a, you know, a piece of literature really kind of have such a good impact on your on your life is is why people tell stories right yeah yeah Yeah. i think so so let me ask you first then um for at least uh, the this first volume um do you have like a particular favorite scene that really stood out to you so it's weird like there was a segment that i wanted to talk about but in the execution i wasn't the biggest fan of it um (laughs) So I, I won't go fully into that. Um, I will say that I really liked how they adapted 24 Hours, because that that was a hard story to tell in the sense that it's it's full-blown horror. Like, Dr. D, um, they even did a, a small movie about it um, on, on YouTube, I believe, like two years ago. And I wasn't sure how it would translate onto the audio recording, but it actually came out really well. And uh, of all of that, I think... That one was one of my favorite ones uh, in the adaptation, as well as I just finished The Doll's House. That was, oh my god, mm. that was a great adaptation. Mm. Yeah. I um, was actually surprised, Leah, with that segment with Dr. D. It really kind of reminded me of um, sort of old-time, like, uh, radio recordings when they would mm-hmm. do, like, um, shoot. Uh, what's his face, like War of the World stuff. It kind of really Orson reminded Wells. me. Yeah, Orson Welles, yes, exactly. Yeah. It kind of really reminded me of that, despite the intense, gory, and horrific scenes that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, that's, that's another reason I love, okay, okay I'm mm-hmm. going to stop sidebarring, but that's one of the reasons I love this series, too, is because there's so much, so many references to literature, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me if it was influenced by Wells, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the entire cult that, that started... Um, the Sandman journey in, like, the first issue was based on Aleister Crowley and his actual, like, occultish, like, huh. themes. Like, Neil Gaiman's incredibly well-read, mm-hmm. which is why this series is filled with, like, Easter eggs left and right, and I love it. So. Do you have a favorite character? Yes, but it, she's always been my favorite character okay. in this series. <laughs> um, and that would be, that would be Death. So, um, when, when we agreed to do this, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about, because I've been wanting to talk about this for the longest time, is um, the sound of her wings, which I think is, I want to say that's issue, episode eight in the audiobook, and I think issue eight in the comic. But um, when I first read this, um, like I, before jumping into this, I was well-versed already in Hero's Journey type stuff. So I've been talking about Hero's Journey, like I've talked about it here on this podcast, and I've, t- I've written about it on WorkPrint, but like I've, I've been knowledgeable about that stuff since like 2010 so it's been like a decade of this and um and like knowing that and like what you could do with that um when i got into sandman like like many superhero comics and stories in the past it was very hero's journey-esque like it's like okay here's this person who was trapped who wants revenge she goes on a quest Mm -hmm. there's like three things he needs to find it's very much the traditional story and don't get me wrong it's fantastic i love i love the first few issues but it wasn't really until issue eight the sound of her wings Mm -hmm. 
where the entire Sandman kind of flips on its head, which is why I, I stress everyone to please just read up to that issue, because it kind of just changes the entire game. Wherein, as before, it was like, okay, here's a hero going on this quest to, you know, become the person that he was. Issue 8 is where you kind of see, like, Dream, okay, so I did this. I got the items I wanted. Mm-hmm. I got more powerful than ever before. Why am I not happy? What What is wrong with me? Because, like, I'm a being beyond, like, godliness, and there's just something wrong with this picture. And, like, he talks to this complete stranger who you think is very insignificant, who is then revealed to be, like, death itself. And it's not the menacing death and the black robes and the ominous, like, grin and stuff like that. It's it's just this cute little gothic uh, 15-year-old girl. And it's, she's just very happy about life, loving Mary Poppins and pop culture, and, like, embraces her role as, like, a necessity for existence. It's like, unfortunately for life to have meaning, things do need to end, and and by ending, things have to die. It, it was these kinds of, like, philosophical notions that really made, like, love this series. And, like, seeing that, seeing his first interaction with death, and then really just learning about The Endless from that kind of just blew my mind. Because I, I had no idea what The Endless were. I had no idea what the series was about. But, like, that was the issue where, like, the entire game changed. It wasn't just, here's us, like, going on this quest. It became, okay, we can talk about bigger issues here. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I really want to talk about that. That said, the only thing I'm not happy about was as much as I love Kat Dennings, I'm yeah. not a fan of her as a choice for death. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm you had sorry, a Kat. different voice in your mind as you were reading this in the past. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And like at first I was like, okay, she's kinda cutesy, but then like the more I went on, I'm like, she sounds like she'd be better um does uh delirium than ah, she would be a oh, death. Huh, yeah. But I don't I don't know if you've gotten to delirium yet, but yeah, yeah. Did, wait, did I get to him delirium? I think I did. Because at some a point the bit. whole family has yeah. to get introduced. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not. I'm only like halfway through the audio series. So, yeah. but I've read the comics like many times. Um, delirium is the twin. Actually, no, 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 no. Um, sorry, I was confusing the twins. Delirium is who used to be um, Delight, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So actually, no, I haven't gotten to her yet. Then. Okay. Oh, okay. So she might not be in this volume. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So spoilers for people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Del- Delirium's pretty awesome, too. All, all of the Endless family are pretty excellent. That's why I, you know, love this series. I um, am kind of just going through this, like, realized how f- unfamiliar I am with, like, DC properties outside of, you know sort of the major ones and mm-hmm. it was really kind of interesting to because I was listening last night to um, this section with Rainey and so then I started googling a little bit on what who her character was and didn't realize that she was like in a bunch of other things also mm-hmm. um, and it's I just I think I yeah I had in my head that this um, series was sort of just by itself and even though Constantine was brought in and stuff it didn't really occur to me oh yeah these uh, some of these characters are probably have like their own series like so it was sort of nice to see that it it, like it was incorporated in and but you probably have more information on this is it something that a lot of these characters were already existing and then got brought into Sandman or was it like potentially some of them at least were initially created in Sandman and then taken out into other so, stuff. Yeah. So I, I love I love your questions. Um, <laughs> the it, it, it's it's. I'm compl- so hopefully ignorant of DC stuff. <laughs> 
Well, no, the thing is, is I am too. Like, I'm, I'm a. It's weird because we've covered so much DC, uh, DC mm-hmm. material lately, and it's mostly just because we've developed like a decent PR relationship with a lot of, a lot of people out there, and I've, I've found ways to get DC information access. You know, just working for WorkPrint. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, I actually am a Marvel fanboy, and if it wasn't for Sandman, I really wouldn't know half the stuff I know about DC. Um, I'm actually the only thing I really knew about DC was Batman and then like the animated series stuff. That's a completely different like ball. Okay. Anyway, um, so so back to the question: um, was was this set up for Sandman? The answer is like no. Uh, <laughs> the um, how do I put? It? So like basically, it was all kind of a mistake. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, very terrific mistake. <laughs> a terrific mistake in the sense that like this was the era where like a lot of British uh, authors were kind of hitting it. Like through the through the park out of the park, mm-hmm. whatever the metaphor is, um, in terms of comic book creation, this is the era of like just post Alan Moore, um, Grant Morrison, and of course Neil Gaiman, and like this is when I think Constantine just came out as a character as well as Swamp Thing, which are two mm-hmm. very beloved uh, mm-hmm. Vertigo properties, and you know eventually DC, and even became TV series that we've seen recently, but um, but yeah, like Neil Gaiman getting this and pitching it was originally like because the Sandman was originally a character who was, like, a superhero who fought bad guys and had, like, a, a sand gun. I think he's featured in some of the issues in the early early on. And uh, Neil kind of just took this weird approach where he's like, what if I could just make a story about stories? And, like, he, mm. he took the dream concept and just made it about different tales. But, like, the big reason for that is for exactly what you're talking about. So he can incorporate basically anything he wanted whenever he wanted through the eyes of dream mostly, but really just to have fun with it. So you can tell a tale about Shakespeare. You can make a horror tale about Dr. D, who's, who's actually a DC villain in, in the series, who really was kind of forgotten about until this came around and then kind of just blew up as a character. Uh, he could tell a story about Lucifer being kind of like this misunderstood creature, uh, kind of taking ideas from Paradise Lost, of all things, and then kind of elaborating it and making it into David Bowie, all fucking things. Like, it was really cool because he got all this creative freedom, and because of that, he was able to create these original stories based on things that have existed in the past with just a slight bit of augmentation. Mm, very cool. Yeah. Well, to segue um, back to the aud- audiobook, did you have a favorite voice actor? Because not gonna lie, I got very much sucked into this because James McAvoy was narrating. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny that you say that because I don't, I don't know if you've listened to other stuff that Neil's done. Like, I'm again, I'm a huge you know, Gaiman fan because of this book or because of this comic. Um, McAvoy also did uh, Neverwhere. Yes. Which was Which amazing. Which I did as well. listen to because yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch was also on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cumberbatch was. I, I hope Cumberbatch uh, does some recordings here because again, this that is hitting. That would be amazing. Yes. Yeah, it's doing so well that it wouldn't surprise me if they did. But yeah, actually, you kind of stole mine. Like uh, McAvoy was amazing as Dream. Like mm-hmm. it's weird how he got the cadence down. Um, and on top of that, just kudos to all the voice actors. Cause, they did awesome. Yeah. yeah, not only did they do amazing, but, like, the sound effects and the audio mm-hmm. effects were great. But, like, they were so good that they made Neil sound, like, kind of, like, meh. Which is <laughs> kind of insane, because Neil's an He's amazing narrator, orator. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, of, like his, his, his voice, I, I love it, but, like, it was one of the things that didn't stand out that much compared to everyone else's, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. So. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome that they had so many voice actors come in and essentially do voices for so many individual characters like Riz Ahmed was in there um uh shoot uh Michael Sheen like there were so many like really well-known actors plus 
like I thought I read somewhere that um, they actually sent James McAvoy recording equipment because he recorded part of it during the pandemic, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> oh, not only uh, McAvoy, like a lot of a lot of the recordings oh, were done really? during the pandemic because I think the project itself was only officially confirmed to the Wada audience in like early March, like mm-hmm. right when the pandemic was hitting. <laughs> so like a lot of this was still in recording and stuff. But to be honest, it's not too hard to record at home. I mean, like we record these podcasts yeah, at home yeah. and like, um, it, no, it's not too hard to self isolate in studio. booth, but you know. Yeah. Do but, I mean, like even getting a sound booth set up isn't too hard mm-hmm. or like at worst you could just carpet the walls and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, Go in a yeah. closet. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are recording from closets. I think the entire Archer panel talked about that in Comic Con, how they <laughs> recorded in closets. Oh so, yeah, hilarious. like it's it's a it's a way around it. So, um, let me think. I know I have more questions for you. Well, well I kind of I was going to ask you, like, what, what were your yeah. thoughts and stuff too, as well about the Audible? Um, I so I you know over the years have become like a really big audiobook listener just because in the past when you're commuting to work or commuting to pretty much wherever it's so much easier to be able to listen and um potentially just zone out and enjoy the story while commuting Mm -hmm. and um so i i've become a lazy reader i I admit it (laughs) i mean honestly i do the same thing and like i i listen even though we're not commuting i still listen to audiobooks while i'm working out or even while i'm gaming exactly exactly Like, I listen to audiobooks, like, taking a shower, just pre- or, yeah, taking the trash out, like, whenever. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this one, and it it, it really felt like um, pretty much, like, theater, but just listening. And if other productions could do such, like, a full cast like this with the same level, like, that would be amazing, because not all books sound like this, right? Not all yeah. adi- sound, uh, audio adaptations sound like this. Um, but overall, this, like, uh, the way it kind of jumps from story to story is super fun and really interesting, because I end up wanting to find out more about each individual story, and then, but as soon as the next one starts, I'm always like, ooh, I kind of, I somewhat forget about the previous one, and I'm just sort of really focused on that one. And then I'm like, wait, wait, you have to remember, you you wanted to Google stuff after you listen to this. Part. Yeah, and that, like, and, and it's weird because again, like, it's just so masterfully crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, certain small elements that you think aren't like that important actually do play a huge role. Everything has a causal effect, and even trivial moments of like saving grace kind of just proved to be huge like mm-hmm. uh you remember in harry potter with the kid with the, the sword and the snake i can't remember his name because i didn't fully read the books oh um neville Longbottom. neville yeah. yeah and how he ends up being kind of like the savior chosen yeah. one the whole prophecy got mixed up yeah. gaiman does a lot of techniques similar to that uh-huh. um so like you kind of you don't have to memorize everything a lot mm-hmm. of it's just self-referential but like certain characters play a much larger role and some don't and it's 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 really cool seeing how it plays out because it, it looks like a full circle yeah like uh i feel like that i noticed that the most like with the unity kincaid where yeah. right at the beginning like at the beginning of her story she was like oh she just fell asleep and blah 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 and then later on you see her relationship to rose walker and that's actually one of the questions i wanted to ask you oh yeah can you further explain what being a dream vortex means and what does that really entail 
so, oh God. Um, I, I felt the same way after reading it. I'm like, that was cool, but what the fuck does the Dream Vortex mean? And you kind of have to remember that, like, a lot of this stuff is, like, Neil Gaiman taking a concept like dreams, mm-hmm. like death, like whatever, the, the Ds of, you know, the endless, and, um, and kind of making them, like, physically manifest in different ways. But, like, do they follow a lot of the logic? Not really. You kind of have to, like, just believe in the sense of magic. And I say that because... The dream vortex is what he described it as. It's kind of the center and the heart of the dreaming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens and it occurs like every once in a while. There isn't a full explanation in the initial part, but everything that happens in that that particular comic and the doll's house in particular has just ridiculous long-term effects in the overall series. And you don't realize, and then this, this kind of bringing it full circle, you don't realize how subtly beautiful it is at the time, but it, it has dramatic uh changes and, and dire consequences like everything that unfolds mm-hmm. but you don't you know you, yeah. you kind of don't see it which is i think brilliant writing um that said there actually is an explanation to what the dream port- vortex is but it happens unfortunately <laughs> it happens in the prequel oh prequel <laughs> so like okay. you have to finish the series and then kind of watch read read the prequel you can also like one of my friends read the prequel before reading uh, reading sandman and yeah. i told him he kind of just ruins the experience well, I mean, it doesn't ruin the experience. It's just you appreciate it a lot more once you know all the players. Oh, but but like if you okay. read the prequel beforehand, it's you're kind of spoiling. Yeah, well, okay. it's it's because um, this series does a really good job of introducing characters. Mm-hmm. I think like when it's when they first come on screen, like there, there's a lot of moments that kind of steal steal your breath away. Like the death scene is mm-hmm. very very cool, and desire scene. Oh my god. Uh, it was like very. This family is not connected, like as well as we thought. It's kind of twisted, but uh, that said, like you're gonna miss out on a lot of those revelations and, and those introductions to characters if you just start with the prequels initially. Which is why I think you really should finish it at the end, especially because as weird as it sounds, the prequels technically connect towards the end. So it goes. It literally becomes a full circle story. I don't want to go too far into spoilers, but it it ties it all together, especially when you think the endless are beings that kind of. Uh, transcend time so yeah. it kind of makes sense but yeah I um, watched a somewhat spoilery YouTube video earlier on death <laughs> and the oh, yeah? but I kind of um, see what you mean from like because I yeah once I sort of start reading something and like whenever certain topics sort of stick out and I need to find out more about it um, correct me if I'm wrong. So the endless are really sort of physical embodiment of ideas and certain themes, right? Mm-hmm. And so they are essentially beings much older than anything else. Mm-hmm. Although because they are on a different level, they're technically more powerful than any other sort of like god it or powerful incarnation within this universe, right? Yes. Okay. Well, it, it's like a balancing act, but for the most part, yes. Okay. And because of that, so the a part of um, one of the chapters that I read last night, or that I listened to last night, is the one where um, the, the Fae cross back into this realm, and then they watch a show by... Uh, by William Shakespeare and his company and blah blah blah. The Midsummer yes. Night's Dream. Yes. Yeah. That was that was a beautiful uh, that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And at first, I was slightly confused as to why 
or sort of what the relationship is, as far as like power structure between um, Titania, um, Oberon, and Dream, because they obviously were giving showing him a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not, they weren't necessarily treating him as, oh, you are someone of much, much higher power levels than we are. So I was like, oh, <laughs> like, do they know or do they not know, like, what he really is, right? Well, it's, all right, so, like, uh, they touch, they, they weirdly talk about it a little bit. Like, because in the early issues, they addressed, like, Dream's power and needing to gain mm-hmm. these these items of power to regain everything. But the reality is, is Dream is every dream in existence across every universe, every iteration. Mm-hmm. So, like, a- as much as we like to think of it as, like, oh, man, this being is basically an omnipresent, you know, mm-hmm. beyond godly thing, it also kind of ser- and this is where... This is where the series really touches on it hard, which really just kind of blew my mind in the philosophy. You have to also acknowledge that because it's that aspect of reality, it always kind of permeates and exists across every every sort of existence. Yes. So, like, because of that, they're not omnipresent as much as they are essential, the same way air is essential to breathing, oh. which is a weird way of thinking hmm. of it. Because it's like, the only reason they're anthropomorphizing is because, you know, it's for the sake of story and stuff, yeah. but these things exist beyond that. And actually, once you get really into the the later issues and really like towards the back end of the of the series, you kind of see that play out. Especially, I can't spoil it, but like, yeah, but like it, it kind of plays with that idea. Is that kind of in relation to what um, Dream tells Desire at the end of the Dollhouse, where he's like, "You need to remember these things that were we actually serve man, and they do not serve us." And yes. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's very much yeah. that, and it's not just man; it's yeah. every creature, living creature yeah. simultaneously. Like there could be multiple dreams and multiple desires across the universe mm-hmm. that are happening at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, because okay, it's just—it's really all cool. just a—it's—it's a, it's a way of looking at something. That's really what the endless are, but they're always just there, which is really, which is really cool to me. It, like, who would have thought all this for freaking superheroes? Yeah, you know. Yeah, at that which. I don't really think has been done since, right? Like pretty much. Like yeah. no. Well, the thing is, is, nobody would ever give somebody this much free reign. Like Neil kind of lucked out in the sense that they said you can kind of do whatever you want. You'd never see that in comics anymore. <laughs> Usually, there's some like a precedent or prerequisite and stuff. And like a little bit afterwards was kind of like this kind of collapse in the publication side of comics, which then kind of fixed itself. And anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But the point is, is like. He he was given so much freedom and kind of lucked out on top of the fact that he worked with really good collaborators and people who could kind of uh, see his vision out. I will say that if there's one thing I, I kind of dislike besides Kat Dennings, <laughs> again, I love Kat Dennings, but I just think miscasted. Um, I th- um, it's the it's the artwork. I feel like because it's uh, audio play and, and, and it's an excellent audio play and it very much uh, makes vibrant tones and intonations and cadence. Um the thing you're losing out though is the art which mm. is a shame because the art is it's kind of mind-blowing and it's weird because they had so many different artists work on the series over the years each with their own sort of visual interpretation mm-hmm. of how dream is supposed to look and he kind of changes as the eras change and over time which which really just makes it like a beautiful series but also just really creative in that sense you, you lose that though in the audiobook sadly i am surprised that they haven't um tried because you know how netflix is doing like or were they were gonna do I, i'm not sure if they're still doing it they were supposed to do like their version of comic book adaptations but mm-hmm. um but i guess in 
I don't actually I don't know if it's legit just slapping on like licensing some properties and slapping it on their their platform or were they going to try to do something different and sort of do more motion graphics with it because this probably would be a really good piece for that right where you could have audio and you know a whole cast of um, actors voicing and have the art accompany it at the same time um which you know, could do very well during pandemic times, right? It gives a <laughs> Actually, lot of people yeah. work, but you're, it's not like you physically have to be there to be able to pull this off. So, hey. You have a brilliant idea. Suggestion, uh, Netflix, please send us money. <laughs> or send us screeners. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my God. Like, oh, I, I can't get into this because yeah. we have this podcast live <laughs> in the air. But, like, yeah, Netflix, you probably hate me by now, but... Speaking, I love you guys. Send us screeners. Speaking of them, though, too, aren't they adapting this as well, right? They are. Series? So, like, yeah. um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I actually was going to have to talk about it at some point. Um, so so one of the comments that – because I'm becoming more and more adept with Twitter because, you know, stuff I learned for work print. Um, and, like, um, the one of the biggest critiques uh, – for this adaptation besides the you know why is it done by amazon those guys are giant corporations is um the uh whatchamacallit it the modern adaptation of some of the themes and the stories now um a lot of a lot of not a lot but like a, a decent amount of of people have been kind of a little semi-outraged with like the adaptation being a complete one-to-one translation mm-hmm. um they uh, some people thought that you know you didn't need the the really graphic details. You didn't need some of the rape scenes. You didn't need some of the hate and uh, vicious attacks against like transgender mm-hmm. people or LGBTQ people. Like th- there are certain things that they thought you could have changed in this audio adaptation. But Neil Neil has been very adamant, saying, "Look, we've been trying to do this for twenty like plus mm-hmm. years. Um, if we were going to do it, we're going to do a complete one to one because like people deserve that because that's what they've been waiting for for the longest time so like we're not going to censor anything we're not going to change anything we're going to make it as pure to the actual comics as possible and um as somebody who studied neil extensively his like writing style and even some of his early comic scripts dude it's insane he actually like everything that you hear in this audiobook where he's narrating that's actually action lines written in his comic scripts like he goes into that yeah he goes into that level of detail for creating these and making it poetic and stuff Mm -hmm. So it's not, not you're not only just hearing the audio play, you're actually hearing a lot of Neil's original scripts, which is crazy that they even tried to do this, but he did. And like I that's another reason I think this is an incredible, you know, incredible recording. Uh that said, um for the Netflix series, they are planning to modernize it. They are planning to make those changes that a lot of people were outraged about. Ah, so. okay. Yeah. But for this, they kind of kept it one to one, and like it's graphic to read. But then you have to remember comics in like the eighties, early nineties. Graphic, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we're in a weird stage where like people have really gone far away from that. But at the same time, then you have things like the boys. So, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the boys comic is so much more graphic. Garth Ennis is a writer. He also wrote Preacher. He's just really over the. T- He's just really over the top. He's like the worst episodes of South Park, which is crazy. <laughs> Do you know if they have um, begun casting or anything like that for this for uh, the Netflix series? For the Netflix series so far, it's just um, scripts. They, they, okay. Neil Gaiman's actually going to be show, I think, co-showing, or at least having oh. a larger role oh, in this, just like he did in um, Good Omens. In Good Omens, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, but he, he wrote the scripts and stuff. I will say that because Neil's a very wordy writer, he's not the... 
oh, I shouldn't say that because I'm insulting my hero. <laughs> but like, he's not the best screenwriter. But screenwriting is very different <laughs> from other forms of writing. Like, it's it's very like it's kind of like sushi making. You have to be very precise mm-hmm. and like minimal with all the ingredients because you have just so much to work with. So, well, if you if you could dreamcast um, for the series, who would you pick? Uh, for like the roles and stuff. Yep. Oh my god. Uh, I have no idea because I have no idea what it's gonna look like. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, I would ideally you'd want Dream to be somebody with an incredible range. Mm. Um, <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can kind of see Hiddleston. Well, to be honest, uh, all right. So this is kind of a spoiler. I kind of want Hiddleston to be Loki. Ooh, well, he, yeah, no brainer. Yeah, because he is Loki. <laughs> Um, you would play, you would play it. You're excellent there too. Uh, and the <laughs> spoilers too, because Loki does play the girl. Um, but uh, what is it? Um, I would say uh, the actor who plays Lucifer in um, Tom, is it Tom Ellis? Yes, Tom Ellis. Yeah, he would be great as Lucifer. Ooh, would you bring he... Matt Ryan as Constantine? Since Fuck yeah. <laughs> But to be honest, Matt Ryan's, but yeah, he's easily he's my favorite really Constantine. Good, yeah. He's he's yeah. he's really good. Yeah, um, that whole series was—it was a shame that they canceled because it was excellent. You know, I agree. It deserved at least a second season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Dream would be pretty hard to cast. Although, yeah, I'm trying to think who would look good in sort of that look and have the acting <laughs> chops to back it. It's a very gothic look. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's. It's very, um, shoot, what's his name from uh, 80s band that... Oh, Robert Smith. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can kind of tell that that was a yes. heavy inspiration. As was Neil. Neil looked very much like Robert Smith from The Cure <laughs> back in the day. So. I feel like hopefully they get the casting right and that they're good actors. But... Yeah. I, I hope so, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the second and third part of the oh, audio yes. too. Absolutely, because yeah. yeah. like so far it's been nothing but excellent. So, yeah. If um, hopefully it doesn't take them too long to do the follow ups as well, because it shouldn't. Yeah. you know, because they could just do it. They could so. just. Do it. <laughs> yeah. It's just like hey, hey, come on! Everyone needs a needs to work right now, right? I could yeah, I could literally just pull up a script and be like, I am dream. <laughs> Mm, use this as the recording and there you go it's like boom we, we got part two <laughs> oh. i will say though that like because i love this series i've always want i always wanted to write a um a screenplay about like kind of like either a movie adaptation or like a pilot uh so like when they announced that they were doing it for netflix i was like damn it i'm too late but when i found out that neil was involved i was like all right never mind this is this will exactly. be awesome yeah yeah because it's it's this also was like it's been what 20 plus years i think more more than that like 30 probably close yeah closer to 30 uh of them trying to make this into anything and uh and then of course they did an audio adaptation and then a freaking uh, netflix series like back to back which is weird no so, go figure yeah Go figure, but we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we end, I just remember the question I want to ask you. Sure. So, um, does is it explained at any point how um, the pocket world was created for Jed, even though Dream was imprisoned? How would that have worked? And that's, that kind of confused me at the time when I first listened to that part. 
so I think if I remember right, was that the one with Hob and Club? Yes. I remember. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I think that they they created it because they were trying to make their own <laughs> kind of dream reality without so without they're Neil there. Strong enough dream entities to be, to have been able to do that. Pretty much, okay. yeah. Like it's it's weird. The rules aren't fully explained, but they do apply. But yeah, they they were strong enough to kind of create their own entities and stuff, or at least try to. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it didn't work well because they didn't have that many people in it, mm-hmm. and they didn't get to hide that whole serial killer convention. By the way, is ex- it's like one of my favorite scripts uh, from <laughs> yeah, from the was... series. Because who thinks of that? It's like yeah. oh, serial convention. Even serial killers need conventions, apparently. Yeah, basically. And the oh my god, the Corinthian. The first time I I saw him. I was like, it's like Brad Pitt from Fight Club, except horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Was um, Judd somewhat special as well as Unity's grandchild also, even though he was in a dream vortex? It's... I actually don't have an answer to that one, because I actually don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, that whole family is... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to say stuff um and, well they are actually they are special because of you of parentage right yes of, and that actually yeah. okay so like you bring up a good point parentage and and hereditary matters a lot in sandman like mm-hmm. it is one of the biggest things so where, where sandman lacks in like action and like straight up fighting like i think the most you see is like i think somebody gets punched in i think the 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 I think issue four or five with Doctor D, um, like this. This is not a series for that. Uh, but where where it kind of makes up in that sense is like there's a lot of family ties. There's a lot of smart literate writing. If you like Doctor Who, it's very similar. But um, yeah. So uh, that said, blood ties very important in the series. Uh, who is like in what family and like who who is kind of like in relation to whom according to you know childs that were born mm-hmm. and people that were made um that that's all very important here this is a very much a series about the making of things and the break especially the breaking of things now things kind of change to be honest that's why i love the sh- the, the entire thing i was gonna say the show the, the entire series is because the entire thing is about the theme is about change and like how people go through change and how to deal with with life changes um in particular for this which is really crazy even the endless have to change, which mm. is sort of fucking insane mm. um, when you start really breaking it down. But I don't want to get too far on that end because that's going to ruin issues now, the later issues. I really but, yeah. wish that they'd hurry up so I can listen to the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I could just loan you all the comics. I still have them if you really want them. But that takes so much time. <laughs> I'll just share it like on a Google Drive or something. You can just open to your per- perusal, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I... Peruse at your discretion. There, you peruse go. at my discretion. I, that I feel like I would need. Well, if I wasn't lazy to watch stuff on my laptop, so I should. I should probably take you up on that. I should, and then I can at least enjoy it at a leisurely pace. Right there, we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but I mean, I like to be honest. I I could talk for like days about Sandman, but um, uh, before we fully end. Uh, what were your favorite parts and things that like genuinely surprised you? And then I guess we'll we'll end on final thoughts after that. Um, I was uh, really surprised with um, the story on Dream's former lover, 
who uh, yes. got imprisoned in um, the underworld. Yeah. And then sort of like then going back to that story on how she got there. And yeah, that that was a really good African folk yeah, tale. Yeah, that was really cool. And it was so well recorded. And it was. I was really... I really wasn't expecting that, especially since it's been, it was a lot of sort of Judeo-Christian stories that were being, um, being explored at the beginning. And so Mm -hmm. to throw that in there was like, oh, this is great. And I um, am looking forward to hopefully something more similar to that, where it's something really different from what you sort of expect. Oh my yeah. god, if the, if you if you really love that, you will you will love the series. There there's like stories about Islam, there's stories oh, about that's awesome. Like, okay. Yeah, there there's yeah. like stories about you know there's a lot more Shakespeare. We'll we'll get to that at some point. Um Norse mythology. I mean, I mean Neil ended up writing a book about Norse mythology, so that's featured here as well. I'm pretty sure I spoiled that with the Loki hint. But yeah. Um oh, there there's a lot. I so. think I did listen to that audiobook that Neil Gaiman wrote on um, it was it was basically like an encyclopedia of Norse mythology, right? Yeah, more or yeah. less. Okay, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. Uh, the stories with Loki and Thor just made me laugh. I didn't realize like that in itself is like its own comic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I also really liked, I think, uh, his general world building and how it, even with like the very first story on how Dream gets captured. It really made, at least for me, made me want to live in like in a world where that stuff really existed. Like that would have, it was such an, a form of escapism. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> as I also actually really liked, which I I think what sticks out to me the most though is that whole section with um, with Doctor D because I wasn't expecting it to get that graphic and yeah. that like really really like twisted and very very like um descriptive forms of like violence on so many different people and it it was it was so different from every other story um within the audiobook for this so far and even everything after that was so different that but this particular one just really stuck out like even with like the abuse that judd was experiencing it wasn't um because it was much later on, this the the Doctor D portion was sort of like such a shock to the system. Like the first time you listened to it, because it was like, wait, whoa, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, and it just escalates. Yeah. He he does a great thing, a technique with timing, where he like he sets it up so that you kind of expect the next hour where like something else crazy goes on. He, he uses that technique a lot. He uses a lot of monomythic techniques, hmm. which I've talked extensively, which is weird because. Like, he does it in a creative way where it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool as compared to me where it's like, that's really cliche. Uh, but, but um, in your yeah, mind, like, it's cliche. Hey. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> but, um, but like, yeah, like um, that one in particular. And, and again, it, it, that's why I love The Sound of Her Wings, because like it sets up, OK, this is a really good horror comic. And mm-hmm. again, keep in mind, um, Swamp Thing and Constantine were both very big horror comics. Like, that's the, th- the thing that all three of those British authors kind of had in common as well, was like they, they were great at making horror and making adult material for DC, which is or Vertigo, which, you know, DC branch. But like it was very groundbreaking for its moment because it said, hey, fuck you, censors. Like, we're going to kind of do what I want. I believe it also had to coincide with the around the time where the comics authority was being lax on their regulations and stuff. So like it, it's a lot of circumstances happened, which made this, mm-hmm. which is really cool, I think. But yeah, 
especially because like the uh, the um the characters that they featured, like the, the gay characters and stuff, mm-hmm. that that stuff was never unheard uh, never heard of back in the day. Like nobody ever thought about making a trans character or something like that. Like real nobody would try to because it wasn't a thing then. Mm-hmm. But Neil mm-hmm. kind of forced the conversation early on, so it's really cool. Agreed. D- so, what uh, final thoughts you have on the audiobook? I uh, loved it. Um, I just finished the um, the um, the serial killer convention moments, and um, I got to say, I love Fiddler's Green. Ah, um, yeah, Gregory. <laughs> Gregory, yeah, Gregory, he's awesome, and um, he he's based off an actual literature thing. Like, I, I believe he's he's based off some sort of tale of Fiddler's Green was like something a lot of poets wrote about, and. Uh, it's supposed to be like some sort of like ideal heaven. I forget which author, oh. um, but the actual figure itself of him is based off of uh, G.K. Chesterton, I believe, and um, and yeah, like it's that kind of reverence that makes this such an amazing series. Also, I don't know if we got there yet, but the King of the World, um, that's a real person. I don't know if that's in the audiobook yet. I'm not I sure. don't think so. At least, Shit. Okay. at least not. It might be in the final thirty minutes, which <laughs> I will listen to tonight. <laughs> okay. Eventually, we'll hit King of the World, okay. but that that was a real dude. Oh and wow! That okay. was fucking cool. Um, yeah. So, um, because it's such an homage to the story, and because it obviously played a huge part in my life, love it. Um, again, audiobook is fantastic. Uh, there's a reason it's the top seller for the past three months. Um, and yeah, like, uh, I would check it out. The only thing is, is I'd also read the comic itself to get the artwork, because that's the one little piece that they're missing. And there's fantastic art for the series, so. Yeah, Very that, cool. That's it. Very cool. Um, my final thoughts. I would... The audiobook is fantastic, and I hope they make more. And what has been really surprising with just listening to this has been... Um, the amount of characters that are introduced and how much Neil Gaiman is a master at weaving sort of different mythologies together and making it all seem very, very believable. So yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm always Which like, is, oh, oh, I know this. I've heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love that, that element to it. Um, and yeah, like, it's weird saying this, but... Um, for me, like this is the reason I write. So I uh, I care about it a lot. If you if you listen to this and you and you like me even like the slightest bit, uh, please please check out Sandman at some point in time in your life, and maybe it'll change your life the way it changed mine. So anyway, <laughs> there we go. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, and... and I don't know what the next podcast. Will be. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, we're may, uh, may, maybe we'll do one on Bob's Burgers. Uh, I think the premiere is next week, if I remember right, or it's Monday or no, it's Sunday. Wow, and then um, and then I think uh, we'll do one for Comic Con, nice. and then that's kind of all I have planned personally for the, the Board Print Podcast. We'll figure out stuff after. <laughs> maybe do a boys one and a Mandalorian one. Oh yeah, we should definitely do a Mandalorian one since that's coming out soon. I, I'm down, like, I'm going to be covering it weekly. It's weird, so, um, <laughs> people in the podcast are like, all right, they're not talking about Sam. <laughs> but, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Man- yeah, Mandalorian, and then, uh, uh, WandaVision, and then I'm assuming Falcon and Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. Mm-hmm. So, like, Disney has been waiting for this for a while. They're, they're setting up the domino effect, mm-hmm. where they're just going to release at least an original show for the next foreseeable couple months, which is, which is great, honestly. Yeah, so this is the time where there's the shortage. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and they've been greenlining a lot. I don't know. Now that I'm covering news more, like, I'm keeping my ear on the, on the 
or my finger on the pulse of whatever pop culture. And like, dude, like Disney is just. Did you hear about just, the Nick Fury thing? Yeah, exciting. I'm, just, yeah. I'm gonna do an article about it nice. on like Monday or Tuesday. Nice. So. Yeah, but um, yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for that. listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and uh, I hope everyone has wonderful dreams tonight. Ooh, I like what you did there. <laughs> Sweet you. dreams, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's right. All right. I'm gonna pretend like we stopped recording, okay. but I I forgot that the 15 second thing. Um, yeah. Thanks for doing this with me. No I always problem. like when you come by. No problem. I'm glad we finally nailed it down and was able yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, yeah. I can't stress how much I love the series. Like, I, I to be honest, like a lot of my comic book writing stuff, which actually you read, um, is based off of Gaiman. Like this this whole thing inspired like how i learned that format i can definitely see um influences now after listening to this as to the other stuff that you sent me earlier on so i'm like oh that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) so i think very well done very well done thank you i'm still trying it's uh I don't know, it's, it's a mix of things, but um, I'm actually working on a different script at the moment. I'm trying to finish it, but it's You can it's do hard. it. You can do it. By yes. the end of the weekend, you can do it. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the goal. I, I, I'm pretty close to it, to finishing. Oh, I'm good. like halfway done. Oh, so. good. Yay. But also, please rest, because you just got sick. <laughs>